scripture reading this afternoon will be from Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife, wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Good afternoon. It's good to be together once again this Lord's Day. We're thankful for encouragement that we've been able to receive through singing songs of praise to God and lifting up our voices to Him. And it's so good to see each and every one here this afternoon. We're so thankful that we have the opportunity to open up God's Word and invite you to be taking out your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 18. It's where we will begin our study in the book of Acts. Sometimes we read the book of Acts and then, especially in Paul's epistles, we get to learn just small bits and pieces of what his travels might have looked like and some of the people that he came across and some of the people that he worked with. And sometimes there's a little bit of information given, other times there's not a lot that we learn. But there is a, a couple that we learn about here in Acts chapter 18 named Aquila and Priscilla and how they were a great benefit to the Apostle Paul in his ministry, especially as he was here in Corinth and as he was beginning to teach and preach in that city. We learn a great deal about them just in verses 2 and 3 where it says he found a Jew, that's Paul, he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, we learn where he is from, having recently come from Italy, another uh, geographic marker of where they are from, with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and so we learn why they are in Corinth and why their paths were able to cross with the Apostle Paul. We also learn in verse 3 that they have the same trade. They are both tent makers with the Apostle Paul. And so we learn something that's unique about them and their lives. And that's something that we don't always get to learn about some of the travel companions that Paul had. But their lives, when they joined with Paul in some unique ways, and you see that they become intertwined in a lot of ways, and that Paul mentions them, Aquila and Priscilla, in his letters. And they seem to be this dynamic duo, this power couple in the Bible, that they are really this dedicated husband-wife team that try to work for the Lord. And you can't help but as you learn a little bit about this couple, about Aquila and Priscilla, you see what it is like and how you, we ought to be dedicated in our service to the Lord together. Not just one of us being, if you think of husband and wife, not just one of us being committed in serving the Lord, but both of us being committed and dedicated in our service to the Lord. That's something that we need to learn as husbands and wives just at the very outset of this study, that husbands and wives, as we talked about marriage this morning and the fruit of the Spirit being in our marriage, well, we also need to see 
that as a husband and a wife, we are not working in competition with one another. We're not trying to leave one out of the dark or anything like that, that this is my decision and my decision only, or my life and my life only. No, we're sharing our partnership and our lives together in service to the Lord. And we can both be committed and we can be a partnership and our wife can help us husbands and wives, husbands can help you as well in our service and our work together within the kingdom of God. And perhaps Aquila and Priscilla were just one of many couples with whom Paul worked in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, what we see is that there might have been other significant couples, if you will, uh, power couples, if I can use that terminology, that worked together for the cause of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and in verse 5, the Apostle Paul is talking about some of his liberties that he has, and he says in verse 5, do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? And he's saying all these other apostles have taken a wife. And he leaves the impression that they're working together for the cause of Christ. And Paul, he's asking, is it out of the realm of possibility that I would do the same? And he's implying that there were others that have taken a wife and that their wife and their spouse is a benefit to them as they serve in the kingdom of God and of Jesus Christ. And what I want us to do this afternoon is consider some passages where we see Aquila and Priscilla mentioned. And I want us to consider three lessons that we can learn from them of how we can be a better servant and worker in the kingdom of God if we model ourselves after them, and how we can be a more dedicated member of the local church, and how we can be more valuable in our service to God and to Christ. And what you first see as we're really first introduced to Aquila and Priscilla in Acts chapter 18, we see that Paul joins with them and they are working in the same trade as being tent makers. And then we get the story of Paul and the conversion of many of the Corinthians that take place. And then Paul leaves Corinth and he goes towards Ephesus. But as we get this uh, view of Paul leaving Corinth, we get a little bit of information that Luke is providing us with in Acts chapter 18 of what happens to Aquila and Priscilla after Paul leaves. They remain there at Corinth. And what you find out in Acts chapter 18, perhaps the most common thing that we know about Aquila and Priscilla is how they begin to hear a man named Apollos in his preaching and his teaching. And we see in Acts chapter 18 and in verse, eight, in verse 24, it says, Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, He was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And it's here that while while Paul is in Ephesus and while 
they are left in Corinth, that they meet Apollos. And he is teaching the baptism of John. And when Apollos was incorrect in his teaching and imprecise in what he is saying, they take the initiative to go and speak with him. And that's something I think is impressive about both Aquila and Priscilla. They are both able to pick up and detect that there was something amiss in what Apollos was saying. That both of them had a deep enough understanding of God's Word and the way of God that they understood that something quite wasn't, just wasn't quite right in what Apollos is saying. And they went to him and they taught him that, bad, that the baptism of John was no longer commanded. We see in Acts chapter 19 that Paul has to do this in the city of Ephesus where Apollos had been before he came to uh, Corinth. And we see that here we have uh, Paul, he has to go and he has to undo some of the same thing that's going on. But what is amazing to me here is that Priscilla and Aquila, they hear Apollos' teaching and they are able to explain to him what is wrong with what he is saying. They don't rely on things that they have been told from other people. They don't rely on gossip about what Apollos is teaching. They are able to hear it themselves and they're able to say, aha, that's where he's making a mistake here. And then what is also impressive, it says in Acts chapter 18 and verse 26, it says they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. They don't just do this in public. They don't shame him. They don't try to do something that would harm him. They see that Apollos is someone who is very effective and very knowledgeable and very eloquent in his abilities. And they don't want to do anything that could take away from what he is capable of doing but they also see the need to go and talk to him. And so they handle this in a very private way. They don't try to ruin Apollos' name. They don't try to ruin his reputation. And they both, it says, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. They both go and they help him understand what was going on. They both were involved in teaching him the way of God more accurately. And that is something that I find very impressive about this couple just from the get-go as we have learned about them and their knowledge and their ability and they are both involved in this. Now some people will take this verse and they'll kind of run with it and they'll say that Priscilla is named first there in verse 26. And they'll say, well, aha, that shows that a woman has authority to participate in a more prominent way and be a very vocal person in teaching and that kind of thing, especially in teaching a man. But what we have to also understand is that the right of Priscilla to hold an authoritative teaching office or something of that nature cannot be implied from this verse. There's just not enough information about what's going on especially since they go and they take this in private, outside of an assembly of worship. 
And as members of the Lord's church, you just think and you stop and you consider what's going on here. When we hear about something, when we hear someone teach something, it could be me, it could be anyone that would teach in some capacity. When we hear something that sounds amiss and we are concerned about it, we are better off to follow their example and go and address the problem with the people directly involved, aren't we? We cannot ignore misunderstandings. We need to use tact and we need to use wisdom in addressing someone's ignorance. Here, it seems that Apollos was ignorant about some things, and so Aquila and Priscilla, they want to go and help him. They want to pull him aside and teach him. It's not to just hand down a harsh rebuke and to say, you're all messed up and you've got to quit preaching and teaching. They wanted to help him understand what was right and how he was doing something that could have led someone to have misunderstandings about God's Word. And we need to be someone who is capable of explaining God's Word like they are. That's something that we find that about dedicated kingdom workers, about dedicated Christians. That we, if we can be the kind of person who can explain God's Word and how this is wrong and how this is right and how what you're saying is, is going to lead you down this path and that you need to conform to what the teaching of God's Word really is, we need to be able to pull someone out of their error. We need to be able to help refute what is wrong. And we can't refuse to correct someone because we like them or because they're a family member. We can say, well, it's the preacher's job or it's the elder's job to do that. Aquila and Priscilla, what about them? They weren't elders. They weren't preachers. They were tent makers. They were Christians who were capable of understanding what Apollos was teaching and how that this was something that could lead people astray. We cannot ignore someone's misunderstandings to say, well, they didn't really mean it that way. I've heard people say that. They've heard a preacher who's very eloquent in his abilities and that he says something that's wrong and then he makes some misstatements and, well, he didn't really mean it that way. It's just what he said. But he didn't really mean that. Well, sometimes we have to... The only way that we can evaluate what someone believes is by what they say. And if they say something wrong, then they need to change that. They need to take it back and they need to repent of it. And here you see Aquila and Priscilla, they are unashamed and they're not afraid to go speak to Apollos. And if we want to be dedicated Christians and effective in the Lord's church, then we need to be capable of correcting and explaining Bible subjects. Aquila and Priscilla both had knowledge of the Scriptures. They both were willing to go to speak to Apollos. They both had to be wise and capable of showing someone their error. We need to be like them in many ways. If we had more Priscilla's and Aquila's in the Lord's church today, then I think we'd be better off in a lot of ways. Then a second thing that we see about Aquila and Priscilla that is very impressive is their willingness to defend those who preach the truth. 
Turn with me to the book of Romans in the 16th chapter. In Romans chapter 16, this may be one of the most neglected chapters in all of the Bible, at least in the New Testament, I would suggest. Because you have really nothing that is of doctrinal import in this chapter. There's a few little tidbits and things like that, but what chapter 16 is, is this roll call, if you will. That is just a list of names of people that Paul is, is thanking and thanking them for being who they are and their service and their acts of, uh, of faithfulness. And he's recognizing them. In Romans chapter 16, it's a long chapter that just has all these names that we don't really know who they are and we don't know any of the personal stories and things like that. But we see that in Romans chapter 16 and in verse 3, as Paul is sending his greetings to the church at Rome here, it says, Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. So here, Priscilla and Aquila, they have made it back to Rome. And Paul says, I want you to greet them for me. And he calls them my fellow workers, that both of them are working in service for the kingdom of God. And Paul recognizes them for that. And then verse 4, he says, Who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Also greet the church that is in their house, and he goes on uh, to list a few other people at that point. But what I want you to see here about uh, Aquila and Priscilla is that Paul, he thanks them, first off. He thanks them for their work and their service, that they are fellow workers. He appreciates them. Here is this husband-wife duo, and he appreciates not just one of them, but both of them for their work and their service in the kingdom. And in a very specific way, too, that seems very personal for Paul. Because he says in verse 4 that they risked their own necks for his life. Now, I'm not going to ask you to put your head on the chopping block for me because I think maybe we're past that. And I don't. also would be a little disappointed if I asked you to raise your hand. I probably wouldn't see very many hands go up. So you need to be like Aquila and Priscilla, though. Be willing to, right? But we don't really know what Paul's referring to here. But whatever it was, Paul, he knew how deep of a friendship these people had for him and how much love they had for him that they were willing to risk their own lives for his. Now, sometimes by the math, and you know, sometimes you get in those movie plots and where the one person would go sacrifice himself for the many, right? But here what Paul is saying is that the two were willing to sacrifice themselves for the one. That doesn't work out mathematically, does it? But they understood, apparently, that Paul was of great benefit and use for the kingdom. And they were willing to put their own life on the line. They were defensive of those who would preach the truth. 
Now, how many times are we willing to do that? For the person who would stand and preach the truth, no matter who they are, it doesn't matter whether it's me or whether it be someone else. For someone who stands for what is right and what is true and what is faithful to God's Word, are we willing to defend them when they might start being attacked? Or do we wait and see what public opinion is or congregational opinion is of the preacher before we take a stand? Sometimes there are people who kind of wait and do that waiting game and they see which way public opinion's going. And then they might take a stand at the very end when it's crunch time. But sometimes whenever they, they allow the preacher to take a lot of criticism and abuse, do we get upset when the preacher begins preaching and taking a hard stand on important issues and modesty or dancing, adultery, marriage, divorce, remarriage? What is our attitude whenever someone teaches the truth? Are we willing to stand right there beside them and say that's the truth and that's what the Bible says and I'm willing to be right there beside that person and if they're going to come for them, I might, you might as well get me too? That's the kind of attitude that Aquila and Priscilla had. That's a deep and abiding friendship that we need to consider. Because sometimes we can easily be deceived or we can be manipulated to defend those who are wrong. Or maybe we don't have all the facts. We might defend our family or our friends before we defend those who would preach the truth. We need preachers who will defend what is right and teach the truth. We need elders to defend the truth and place their necks on the line with the preacher. Elders should publicly commend and make a defense of when certain things are taught so that the preacher may know that he's not in it alone and so that the congregation knows that all of us are on the same team. We need deacons to live out the truth in their lives and in their families so as not to undermine the truth that is being preached and that is being taught. What we need to see is that we need to all stand arm in arm together. All Christians need to be commending the truth and being willing to risk their own necks and their own reputation even if it comes with consequences. That's what we learn about Priscilla and Aquila right here in Romans chapter 16. That they aren't the kinds of friends that just wait and see. They find that this is what is being spoken. They find that Paul is speaking the truth and they're willing to stand right there beside him. And whatever would come at them and come at Paul, they're willing to go through the same thing. And Paul doesn't take that for granted. He recognizes that kind of loyalty to the truth. And that's the thing. It's not that they're being loyal to the Apostle Paul. They're being loyal to the truth. They're standing for what is right. But Paul says, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. That here they are, that they are willing 
to do this and make this kind of sacrifice. And Paul does not just take that lightly. He says, I give thanks for that kind of friendship, for that kind of loyalty, for those kinds of people who are willing to suffer any consequence that might come. And something that we need to recognize is that whenever we defend those who preach the truth, we're not just defending them. We're actually defending Jesus Christ, our Lord. In Acts chapter 15, in Acts chapter 15 and in verse 26, in Acts chapter 15 and verse 26, this is a letter that was being sent to the churches from Jerusalem when there was some discussion and debate about circumcision that was taking place. And in Acts chapter 15 and in verse 26 in this letter, there's this statement about Paul and Barnabas. It says, Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That whenever we're willing to stick our neck on the line, when we are willing to risk our life, it's not for our our own self-gratification. It's because we are doing it for Jesus Christ. When we defend someone who is speaking the truth, when we speak the truth, and when we take a stand for what is righteous, and what is moral, and what is right, and proper, and what is the truth, we're taking a stand with Jesus and for Jesus. We need to... Remember that. And if we remain silent when we should be vocal, then we are just like the apostles who denied Jesus and forsook Him when He was on the cross. We need to defend those who preach the truth. And we need to be like Aquila and Priscilla, willing to risk our neck for what is right. Even if it may cost us some friendships or some consequences that may come along with it. That's what dedicated members of the Lord's church will do. And a third and final point for us to think about is taken from Romans chapter 16. And in verse 5, when Paul is continuing this greeting to Priscilla and Aquila, he says, and greet the church that is in their house. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, at the end of that book, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and in verse 19, as Paul is again making some closing remarks and some offering some greetings to people that he knows, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and in verse 19, it says, the churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Prisca greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. What you see is that the church in Rome apparently assembled in the home of Priscilla and Aquila. Here, if they were in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 19, if they are in Asia, it's probably a reference to when they are in Ephesus still. And so, apparently they opened their home to the church in Ephesus as well. And here you have this couple, this husband and wife team 
and are working together for the kingdom of God, and they understand a significant thing. That it's important to be together as Christians. It's important to worship together. It's important to share our lives together. It's important to open our home to one another. In Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 2, you have this beautiful picture of the Lord's church as it has been established after the preaching of Peter and the apostles on Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2 and in verse 42, you have this statement that's made, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles, and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And the brethren, they opened their homes, they shared what they had with one another, and they understood the significance of worship and developing a spiritual bond. And the vibrancy and the zeal of the early church is just evident as you read the book of Acts, especially. And you can't help but wonder, how were they able to be so strong? And I think it is because they spent time together. It's so important for us to recognize it's that we need to spend time with each other beyond just the, the walls of this building. We need to spend time together throughout the week. We need to visit with each other. We need to spend time in ways where we draw closer to one another. We need to be hospitable together. We need to have each other into our homes. In the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 13, in Hebrews chapter 13, this is something that can be oftentimes very neglected, a very neglected subject of which preachers preach about. If you thought the last point was just a defense of preachers, then let me be critical of preachers here. Sometimes we don't preach on this enough. We don't preach about hospitality enough. But in Hebrews chapter 13, in Hebrews chapter 13 and in verse 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. We need to be hospitable. That's something that God has come to expect of us. And we need to have each other in our lives and in our homes. We need to get to know each other. And what I find to be, again, very impressive about Aquila and Priscilla in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and in verse 19, as Paul is writing this letter to the church at Corinth, he says, Aquila and Prisca greet you heartily in the Lord. Here are some people that they understand that they share their life with children of God. And they understand that they have this deep, connection with Christians. They have a deep connection with Christians. And what do they want to do about it? They, When they are away from their friends or away from their brethren, what do they do? They want to send their greetings to them. They wanted to send their greetings through Paul from Ephesus to Corinth. How many people have we known 
just individually, throughout your life, how many people have you known in the Lord's church that you've developed a friendship with that you haven't spoken to in years, but you feel like if you saw them, you'd be able to just pick right up where you were, where you left off. Separation doesn't mean that you have to forget about them. Maybe now things are a little different. I know it is, with, for me at least, with Facebook and the invention of social media and everything, that you're able to connect with people that you wouldn't have never seen. But I remember I grew up as a preacher's kid and moved around a little bit as a, as a child. And I, we, I remember this place in, in Georgia where we lived. Uh, it was a very important time in my life. It's where I became a Christian. And we left there when I was about 11 years old. And then from the period I, when we moved back to Arkansas, I graduated high school and everything, and I told my dad I wanted to go back to Georgia to kind of see where I grew up. And before I never had that chance again, maybe. And so my dad and I took a road trip after I graduated high school and got to go back and see people and everything. All of this is before Facebook. <laughs> and so I hadn't seen those people, hadn't talked to them, hadn't sent an email or anything like that in several years. But got to, to see some people I hadn't seen again. Now I'm friends with them on Facebook. And so now I get to see the pictures of their cats or their dogs or whatever they want to post on, on there. But it's nice to be able to have those kinds of connections where we can say, hey, tell them hi for me. That's what they're doing with Paul here. Aquila and Prisca greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. Just because someone's not here doesn't mean we have to forget about them. And then the people that are here, we certainly do need to remember them. People that are sick and struggling, we need to remember them. People that are going through a difficult time, we need to remember them. And we need to greet them. Paul says that they greet you heartily. He goes on in verse 20, all the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And something else that we need to as we greet people, greeting people is something that is so important for just building our relationships with each other. In the book of 3 John, in 3 John and in verse 14, in 3 John and verse 14, and some, some translations might add a 15th verse, and it's really that 15th verse that I'm going to be looking at. Verse 14 can be a long verse sometimes. It just depends on your translation. But... If you look at verse 14 or 15, and it says, Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. When I was in school, in college, I got a journalism degree. And one of the first rules we learned in journalism was ask somebody their name. And not just ask them their name, ask them how to spell their name. And they said, even if their name is John Smith, you ask them 
how to spell it. Because it could be J-O-N-S-M-Y-T-H. There could be this very odd spelling. And then my professor said, the reason you ask this is because the number one complaint that newspapers get, you want to guess? Getting a misspelled name in the paper. Because <laughs> people get offended when they see their name misspelled. Now we might think, well, they just need to get over it or something like that. It doesn't matter. It bothers them. Greet the friends by name. Brother, we need to know each other's names. We need to know who each other are. We need to be able to show that we care and that we're concerned and that we greet one another by name. Because that shows that we have an investment and that we're connected together. We need to pray for each other. And I would suggest we need to pray for each other by name. In the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1, in Ephesians chapter 1 and in verse 15, the Apostle Paul says, For this reason too, I, I too having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Paul says, I think about you and I mention you in my prayers. We need to be the kind of people that can greet each other by name and we need to be the kind of people that will pray for each other. Because that's what we ought to be doing in the local church. Because we are connected with one another and we are involved with one another and in our lives. So those are three lessons I think we can learn from looking at Priscilla and Aquila and what it means to be a dedicated worker in the kingdom of God and a dedicated child of God. Someone who is capable in knowing and explaining God's Word. Someone who defends the truth and is willing to risk themselves for others who defend the truth. Someone who is deeply connected and involved with the local church. If we do that, then we can be a dedicated child of God and a dedicated member of the Lord's church. Priscilla and Aquila give us a glimpse into what it is to be a worker in the kingdom of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you ready to follow their example? Tonight, I know this lesson hasn't been designed to teach someone what they must do to become a Christian. But if you are here this afternoon and you're not yet a Christian or a child of God, you need to become one tonight. And encourage you to be a child of God before it's too late. Come in faith, believing in Jesus Christ as the Son of God who died for your sins. Be baptized in water to have your sins washed away. Having repented of your sins and making the confession that you believe Jesus to be the Christ, then we are willing to help you do that this afternoon. And if you have made that commitment, but you've not been living faithfully for the Lord, you've not been as dedicated in service to Him as you should, then will you make some changes in your life before it's everlastingly too late? If you're subject to the Lord's invitation, we'd encourage you to come now as we stand and as we sing.